Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome on back to the Baltimore B-Town podcast. It is Thursday, May 30th. My name is Jake Luke. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my other host, Vasily Lurikos. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great. We've got a ton of news coming out of the castle this week. An exciting time here. Yeah, really. I mean, it was a long weekend. It felt like there you know, wasn't going to be a ton of sports to be talking about, but uh, there certainly were. The Ravens... Uh, had a lot going on uh, earlier in the week after the long weekend had transpired. Um, I know myself, I had myself a good time down in Ocean City, but uh, after that, I came back ready to get back after it. And now here we are back in the studio ready to talk about it. How'd, you, how'd your weekend go? It was good. Got out on the water a little bit, uh, enjoyed some family time, uh, but we have a jam-packed show. So let's uh, let's get into it because things are really percolating in Owens Mills. Yeah, they certainly are. And jumping right into that. Uh, probably the biggest news of the week, I mean, among, like you said, a, a week that's been pretty jam-packed, Gerald McCoy, the Pro Bowl defensive tackle, visited the team. He left without a deal, but he had high praise for what he kind of, you know, saw and experienced. And um, he, like I said, he left without a deal, but he was there for a day and then he stayed overnight and came back for another day. And it looks like he's now going down to visit the Carolina Panthers. He visited Baltimore after he had been in Cleveland for, I think, a day. So it looks like it's going to be coming down to a little bit of a three-way bidding war between the three teams. What were your thoughts on uh, everything you heard about uh, Joe McCoy visiting Baltimore? I've really come around on a potential McCoy signing since we last spoke. He reportedly had an A++ visit. Some uh, media members uh, believe the Ravens are currently the front runner. I guess he's going to decide pretty soon here. He's, he's visiting the Panthers, I think, t- towards the end of this week. The way I see it, I usually prefer to save cap space for the future, but McCoy is a bona fide all-pro, and difference makers are worth spending on. If you put him in a rotation with the other D linemen on the roster, his interior penetration would be quite useful, especially against the Patriots and the Saints and, and those teams that fire the ball out quick. In, interior pressure is, is better than edge pressure against some teams, certainly. And I think on a short-term mercenary-type contract, I am all for bringing him into the fold. 
Yeah, they definitely do need a lot more pass rush help, and he would certainly give it to them. What did he have, eight sacks last year? Am I making that up? Um, but regardless, he's been pretty productive as a pass rusher. But yeah, from his side of things, I think uh, some fans were maybe a little disappointed that he ended up getting out of the building because that does not often happen with the Ravens. They're known for being closers, but I think it makes sense for him. You know, the guy's a pro. This is going to be either his last contract or the, like you said, the mercenary one-year type deal that leads into his last contract. So he wants to make the right decision, and I think that makes sense for him to sort of you know, make all the pit stops, figure out the right place for him. It sounds like, like you said, the Ravens are sort of in a good spot with the negotiations. And it's a good thing to hear that they put themselves there because they brought him in on the day Haloti Nada returned to retire in the uniform. And I think that's always a good sign. And they also had the whole Brian Billick uh, Ring of Honor ceremony going on. So I'm not totally sure that's a coincidence, maybe a savvy move by them to sort of showcase the family culture that they have going on there. But I've also come around on it as well. I was feeling a little bit lukewarm on it, potentially not necessarily too high or too low on whether he decided to come in or decided to leave. But uh, yeah, I, I certainly would actually like to see him in purple at this point yeah six sacks uh last year for mccoy that's what it was. that was the sixth straight year that he's had at least six sacks with a high of nine and a half i mean he's a great player there's no two ways about it um and, and you're absolutely right the ravens did put the full court press on and they did stress that family atmosphere uh any prediction? Where do you think he's going to end up, Jake? I have a weird feeling he's going to end up in Baltimore. Um, I don't know. I, it just you didn't hear kind of the same buzz, or you know, maybe it's just the fact that we we live in the area, we're connected to the team, so we hear all the positive stuff. But you didn't really, at least in the national you know news, hear him sort of talking up the Browns the way that he did the Ravens when he left. And obviously, we haven't heard anything about the Panthers yet because he's, he has not visited there. But um, the way that, like you said, they put on that full court press, it's going to be tough for the Panthers to max. So, like I said, I'm, I'm sort of getting the feeling that he's going to end up here on a one-year deal. I'm kind of getting that feeling, too. I, I really am. And maybe there's a dark horse team ready to come out of the woodwork and, and woo him. But uh, but the Ravens are sitting on a decent amount of cap space. There's not a lot of teams that can offer him a $10 million a year contract or, or something along those lines. He says he wants to play for a contender. And Cleveland has a lot of nice players, but they have not proven to be a contender yet. And I'm sure he sees the depth chart and realizes with Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce and all those other big fellas, he's not going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting against the run. So he can concentrate on getting after the quarterback if he were to come to Baltimore and then get paid handsomely on the open market next year, presumably earlier when, when he has all 32 teams with, with money to bid to spend on him. After a showcase here in Baltimore, I think it makes a lot of sense. So we'll see how it plays out, but I'm pretty optimistic. Right. Not only is it a good situation where he's coming to a supposed contender, but he's coming into a spot where he's not going to have to do everything. Like you said, he's not going to have to be that superstar guy that maybe he would have to be on Cleveland. I know they've got some guys there on the D-line, but um, he would certainly be one of the more focal points there where here he can kind of blend in a little bit and just do his thing, which would maybe up his production. But um, speaking of production not being upped, the Ravens offense uh, during the start of OTA practices that have been going on in Owings Mills, it looks like they've been getting off to a bit of a sloppy start to OTA practices. Um, it sounds like Lamar Jackson was pretty critical of himself. The reporters were kind of noting that he wasn't, you know, playing especially well. Is there kind of anything to worry about here? I'm not necessarily worried about. Lamar was rightfully critical. Many of his balls did look kind of wobbly. 
His footwork uh, has seemingly improved, but by his own admission, he needs to use better hand placement to produce tighter spirals. He's still a work in progress, obviously, uh, but ultimately he doesn't have to be pretty if he's effective. So he still has, you know, some development to do later this offseason and, and coming years. But uh, he's also made some good plays as well. So work in progress, as I said. Yeah, that's true. And I, I wouldn't say it's much to worry about. I also wouldn't say it isn't nothing. I think when it comes to OTAs, I, you probably shouldn't take too much stock in the positive reports because everyone should be that way. I feel like we've been harping on that the last couple of weeks, but you'd at least like to hear them every now and then, you know, the sort of positive thing, like X guy had a great practice, you know, Y guy was catching everything. This guy was hitting every pass, but it is also a little concerning after Lamar's comments about kind of not knowing that there would be a new offense. I, you know, I feel like he was a little bit taken out of context there, but it certainly doesn't put those comments in a much better light. So hopefully he can uh, clean things up going forward here. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, way overblown, the, the new offense built from the ground up, and Lamar was unaware of it. I, I don't uh, put a lot of stock in that whatsoever. Greg Roman had plenty of influence on the game plans last year, specifically the rushing attack. I'm sure he and the new passing coordinator, David Culley, have added some unique route combinations and some wrinkles and creativity and pre-snap deception, but the scheme is likely going to end up being pretty similar. That intermediate middle passing combined with the power rush, uh, that that to me is uh, being taken out of context, like you said. Yeah, and you know, it's like you said, it's uh, it's a work in progress, and it's an offense that I don't really think is tailored to OTAs. It's going to be physical. It's going to be downhill. There's going to be a lot of hitting. Um, with that rushing attack. So you're really not going to be able to showcase a ton of that. And I think that's going to be something that is going to help Lamar out a lot moving forward, being able to sort of fit within the offense. Absolutely, Jake. That's a great point. The offense is a physical offense and uh, non-contact is not going to allow them to shine. The setting really does allow a lot of the receivers to shine. Chris Moore, Jaleel Scott, Jordan Leslie, Antoine Wesley, They've all flashed at OTAs so far. Uh, on the other side of the ball, uh, some young defenders, Zach Sealer, Tim Williams, and Chris Board are creating some buzz. And the newly added pass rushers, Shane Ray and Pernell McPhee, were praised by John Harbaugh for being in shape. Any uh, Anybody caught your eye in OTAs thus far? No one really specifically. I was kind of keeping an eye out for how some of the receivers looked. Um, I saw Michael Floyd getting involved a little bit, which is, uh, you know, interesting to see. We'll see if he makes the team. But uh, more than that, it's just kind of interesting to see some of these new guys in the uniforms, the way they're kind of going to look. So Earl Thomas really stood out to me. I think Ray was another guy that stood out. Um, I thought uh, Pernell McPhee was maybe looking a little bit big. So maybe we'll see if that's going to be a storyline where he's going to have to trim it down. But, uh, yeah, those were kind of the guys I was looking at. Like I said, I don't really take a ton of stock in all this stuff. But, um, yeah, that's kind of just what I was looking at. Um, anyone else that stood out to you? Or Well, the other storyline from OTAs is always the attendance report. And attendance has been pretty solid. Unsurprisingly, some of the seasoned vets, Marshall Yonder, for example, are not participating but that's normal and probably preferred. Most uh, most of the vets have been on the field, at least for a portion of these voluntary practices. Earl Thomas, as you said, has returned and been impressive uh, coming off that broken leg. Uh, his running mate, however, Tony Jefferson on the back end, currently recovering from off-season ankle surgery. 
And then notably, two defenders entering contract years, Matthew Don and Michael Pierce, are both sitting out. A little bit uh, eyebrow raising there. And then the most surprising no-shows have been uh, running back Kenny Dixon and return man Cyrus Jones. Not really sure why they are not participating if they're dealing with an injury or or doing some work off on their own. But uh, they probably should try to get back on the field pretty soon because they could end up being bubble players. Yeah, you kind of never really mind it if it's the superstar players or like the wily vets that sort of know the ins and outs of the game. But definitely the younger guys and the newer guys you want to see involved early on in OTAs. So um, that's that's definitely an interesting aberration. uh, Those guys are for sure. Yeah, so we'll continue to monitor OTAs and uh, and we'll continue to keep you updated with all the news coming out of the castle. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, a uh, piece of news that you might have missed coming out of the castle on this jam-packed uh, early week that they had going on over there. Uh, owner Steve Bashotti held his annual conference call in which he uh, dished on a ton of things, um, as one does when on a conference call. And he specifically was asked about Lamar Jackson. And he said that the quarterback is going to be running less and that the offense is being built around him. I know you have some thoughts on this. You want to uh, throw them out there? As he said, as Bashadi said, they did what they had to do to get into the playoffs. Nobody wants Lamar to run the ball 20 times a game. Ideally, he saves his scrambles for the critical situations, the third downs in the red zone in the fourth quarter. But the, the threat of his legs unlocks this offense, and his running ability is his best attribute, so it will remain a balancing act going forward. Yeah, and I think you don't want to be too much of any one thing especially with the way this roster is constructed you know it's set up to be a running team but there are pieces in place for him to be a little bit more of a passer so I think it's going to be more of a game flow situation where if they need him to run a little bit more he'll run a little bit more if he's going to have to sit back there and pick teams apart then he will do that but uh, yeah it's going to be interesting to see for sure you have to appreciate Bashadi's uh, candid and he's accountable to to his season ticket holders he used to do the state of the ravens press conference he didn't do that this year but the fact that he takes live questions uh not a lot of owners do that a couple other comments he made that are noteworthy um he said he's excited about the speed that eric DaCosta added in the draft at the skill positions and he went on to explain the emphasis on cleaning up the ravens salary cap the last couple years and these two remarks are a definite contrast from some of his previous statements at the State of the Ravens pressers about valuing veteran experience and contending every season and continuity. So it's, uh, it's refreshing. It seems that the, the regime change with DaCosta has, has permeated the whole organization. It's encouraging. He's an owner that's really, really invested in his team and winning. And I think, you know, All of these comments about Lamar were made obvious by the moves that were made. But, you know, it's pretty clear that Bashadi, you know, put the infrastructure in place to make them that those moves happen. And it shows how invested he is. I mean, some owners just want to, you know, sit back and make a buck, but he's very much in it to win it. I know Michael Lombardi has said before that there are only eight teams pretty much in the entire league that are trying to win the Super Bowl every year. And he's counted the Ravens amongst them. And I think uh, Bashadi is a big reason why. Yeah, he's a class act. Baltimore is lucky to have him. And yeah, you're absolutely right. He's not uh, Cincinnati. What's his name? Paul Brown. Mike Brown, uh, yeah. 
pinching pennies trying to uh, to to make his his team as profitable as possible. He's trying to win. Sometimes maybe he overestimates the team. He maybe did that in a few years ago, and the Ravens did have a a, a decent what was it four year five year. They didn't make the playoffs. But but now they're back on the right track, so he's he's ready to go roll. So yeah, tip your hat to Steve Bashotti, class act all the way around. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, speaking of class acts, uh, Holodinata returned to the team uh, to officially retire as a Raven. Uh, and additionally, it was announced that uh, he's going to go into the Ring of Honor in 2020 after former Ravens head coach Brian Billick will enter it in 2019. I want to get your th- thoughts on both of these guys here. Let's start with uh, Holodi. Really nice uh, move for the big man to choose to retire as a Raven. Lodi was an underappreciated part of the defensive dominance during his tenure. He, he, his versatility really allowed Rex Ryan to make the scheme change, and he could play five-tech, he could play three-tech, he could play the nose. He could do everything. He could shoot into the backfield when he needed to. He could eat up blocks. He was an excellent player all the way around. And, they, you know, good players, they take on Stonewall double teams. Great players beat them. And Nada did just that. If you look at his career numbers, tackle for loss, sack, quarterback hit, and just in general, playmaking, batting down balls or interceptions or fumbles, all that extremely impressive numbers for a two-gapping D-tackle. He's He definitely deserves to be enshrined in the Ring of Honor. Absolutely one of the best, I would say, at least eight players, one of the top eight players in Ravens team history in terms of contributions. I'd actually put him fifth or maybe sixth all time of all time Ravens. Yeah, and I think it's a very cool gesture for him. Uh, he left town somewhat unceremoniously back in 2015. I think he got shipped off for like a fifth-round pick to the Lions for cap uh, purposes. But, And he said during the pressure that he had always wanted to retire Ravens, so even the fact that he had gone up to Philly, which is a class organization as well, I think he got another ring there. You know, I wouldn't have blamed him for just kind of not really wanting to go back and you know go through the whole rigmarole, but he did, and he got uh, he got his due. He got a good day out of it. A nice presser, nice ceremony for him. Uh, actually, interesting note was that our prospective free agent that we were talking about earlier, Gerald McCoy, was in attendance at that presser. So that's probably a good sign for the Ravens' chances to bring McCoy in. Um, Going back to Haloti, though, I think he's kind of a fringe, borderline Hall of Fame guy. I go back and forth on it. What were your thoughts? What would be your thoughts on him getting into the Hall of Fame? Do you think he has a good chance? No, I'd agree. He's a fringe, borderline type. He's a candidate for sure. Not sure he's going to make it all the way to Canton. If he does, it'll be on a late ballot. Just for reference, the last pure defensive tackles to earn that gold jacket were Warren Sapp and John Randall. Both had gaudy sack numbers, and objectively speaking, they had better total resumes than Haloti. It's just not a glamorous position, D-tackle. It's, it's kind of like offensive guard. They have a hard time beating out some of the sexier positions, considering the logjam of borderline Hall of Fame talent in the pipeline already. Yeah, gut feeling I, I'd ultimately say he doesn't um, for you know all the reasons you mentioned. Also, the fact that he was overshadowed by some bigger personalities on those great defenses that he was playing on it wouldn't totally shock me if he did one day um three straight seasons of five plus sacks from a dt that is not easy to do uh, also five pro bowl plus five all pro nods that kind of speaks for itself as well so like i said i sort of go back and forth on it but uh yeah you know it wouldn't surprise me if he did one day but like you said late ballot 
Um, speaking of honoring players and people, like I said earlier, the Ravens announced that head coach Brian Billick is going to be entering the ring of honor for the team in 2019. What are your thoughts on this one? Long overdue. Long overdue. Billick, sure, he had his flaws. He was arrogant sometimes. He was combative at times. He lost the locker room towards the end. He used to give star players preferential treatment. He wasn't uh, – he was he was almost the opposite of John Harbaugh in a lot of ways, to be honest. But despite being hired as the uh, offensive mastermind, his offenses were quite unimpressive on the whole. Nonetheless, all that said, his bravado – the way he carried himself, he helped, he really did forge the Ravens' identity as that that fearless underdog mentality. That famous speech he gave when they went into Tennessee and beat the undefeated Titans the year they won the Super Bowl, where you walk in carrying a spear, that whole thing. I mean, that was Billy. Let's go and screaming he, like a banshee. Exactly. <laughs> and, and he had his players' backs. Everybody remembers when he went to bat for, for Ray. And, and scolded the media for half an hour, you know, right before the Super Bowl. And he had that swagger, and I think that was really perfect for the franchise. Before before it was a nondescript franchise, they were cellar dwellers. They were always in last place or second to last place in the Central with under Marcia Broda. And, and he came to Baltimore and gave him some confidence. And, and he, he really led them out of that basement made him into an attractive free agent destination and eventually a Super Bowl champion. So I'm happy Billick got in. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but he really did contribute in a lot of ways to the Ravens. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember, um, I wrote an article a few years back for Baltimore Beatdown that got a little traction on this very topic. I said that he was long overdue a couple of years ago, so this feels like a, a nice little feather in my cap as well. Um, and, you know, as much as it's true that it's long overdue, it's great to see it happen. You know, he's been getting involved with the franchise a little bit more the last couple years doing the preseason broadcasts and uh that's always good to see you know it's good to see the relationship mended a little bit i know things weren't so great with him and bashadi towards the end there but yeah man like you said he instilled that culture that confidence that you know cockiness almost that sort of created what the ravens are they weren't really anything before he got there they were just another team that had moved over from another city they had uh as you know as much as everyone loves march Broda in baltimore he didn't really do a ton to build them up in his three years here so i think billick uh Ozzy got the players, Billick molded them, and um, they are what they are with or because of him. So it's great to see him get uh, this honor. Oh, for sure, it really is. I actually, uh, I have a player I think is deserving, but I'm saving that for my for my final thought of this podcast because I'm going to pound the table for another Raven that that's long overdue. Oh. But but let's jump into uh, around the NFL news now. Yeah, sure. So a uh, pretty big piece of news actually that came out. Um, Per NFLPA executive director DeMora Smith's email, players should prepare for a work stoppage of, quote unquote, a year or more in reference to the upcoming collective bargaining agreement talks. And I'm not really sure what to make of this one. I think on the one hand, it wouldn't be totally surprising. There's been a lot of blowback against the way the league has handled its relationships with players over the last several years. Um, But on the other hand, it could just be posturing. But I think regardless, it's smart for players to begin saving their money now, just in case, like he uh, suggested there. Yeah, that's well said. I think it's probably posturing. Smith warned of a lockout in 2020, a couple 2021, excuse me, a couple years back. And he wants the players to prepare and save up some money so that they can maintain a little bit of leverage if a stoppage does begin. In a nutshell, the dispute, the NFLPA requests more than their current 47% revenue share. 
and the elimination of the franchise tags and the fifth-year options. Uh, and then the other thing is uh, guaranteed contracts. They probably do have a point on the contracts being non-guaranteed. At the end of the day, I think I believe they're going to get something hammered out eventually. They'll probably get a little bit bigger piece of the percentage. And uh, the franchise tags and the fifth-year options, as long as the percentage is going up, the players are still making out a little bit better. Uh, I don't think it's going to be anywhere near as sweet as the uh, the NBA's CBA. But uh, you know, you play by the rules that the uh, that the league has, right? You can't just play a different sport and have guaranteed contracts just because you want to. Nobody wants to kill the golden goose. But bottom line, the owners, they always are going to have more power than the players because the players have a limited shelf life. And if they only have six or ten or three good years of earning in the NFL, uh, they're not going to want to sit out for two years. They're just not. So we'll see what happens. I think it's going to get worked out. Yeah, it's just the nature of the league, right? You know, bigger rosters by far. Um, Like you said, shorter shelf life there, less marketability. So, uh, yeah, I think like you said, I do think something is going to get done as well, even if it's at the 11th hour. It does seem like they are a little far off with this coming out right now and then another report coming out about the league wanting to expand the schedule to 18 games. I'm not a huge fan of that. I don't really see how it works, but... uh, yeah, like I said, as far off as they may appear to be right now, I, I am a believer that something's going to get done because uh, they're not going to want to miss out on the money that even just one season brings them. So I think, uh, yeah, definitely something's going to get done in this case. Um, moving on into a division rival territory, Brown's head coach Freddie Kitchen says that Odell Beckham has missed, quote-unquote, a lot during OTAs, including, quote-unquote, the whole offense that does sound like kind of a big deal but uh i don't know what do you think yeah some interesting developments in cleveland jarvis landry is also nursing uh undisclosed injury currently beckham has attended just one of their nine otas and he also skipped their voluntary mini camp most veterans as we said they don't really need these practices it's actually beneficial for the coaches usually to have a little extra time to evaluate the young players. However, new additions do need to learn these schemes and build that camaraderie with their teammates. Off-season team-building activities are important for newcomers. You know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, Beckham, he's a, he's a little bit of a diva for sure. Kitchens is going to have his hands full with this cast of talented personalities, as we predicted. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a huge deal, but like I said earlier, you don't want negativity coming out of OTAs. It should be just a usually a pretty easy, drama-free process. You especially don't want it surrounding Odell, who, like you said, that's your new big-ticket acquisition. You want him in the picture, you want him in the building, you want him in the team videos, and you want to get your eyes on him, and you want to hear that he's learning the offense and not, quote-unquote, missing out on the whole offense and missing a lot, as Kitchens is saying. And the fact that he's coming out and publicly saying this, maybe he's just trying to lure Odell in or maybe he's just straight up frustrated with him but uh, either way it's not a good look for the team that uh, is supposed to run away with this division yeah they're gonna have some uh Kitchens has work cut out like you said Miles Garrett was uh I think saying that they didn't need McCoy at one point last week uh they had a lot of big personalities and that's uh that's a tough thing to handle for a head coach that doesn't have a whole lot of experience. Yeah, I think you got to hope that uh, Baker Mayfield can get those uh, soldiers in line a little bit there because uh, it seems like Kitchens is going to have his hand fu- hands full. And uh, well, well, 
Baker himself uh, sometimes needs a little help getting in line. Yeah, so. yeah, no doubt. He can maybe <laughs> uh, get off of uh, Twitter chirping at Colin Cowherd, you know, here and there. But um, yeah, so you know, maybe not everything's so perfect over there. Um, hopefully not. But yeah. I guess that transitions us out of the news and into our segment for the week, which is continuing our ranking series. This time we are getting to the AFC North tight ends group. Do you want to start us off on this one? Sure. I'm going to go with the hometown Ravens for the second week in a row after running back. Uh, It's a great trio. Nick Boyle, arguably the best blocking tight end in the entire league. He's basically an extra offensive lineman in the run game. Supplies some chip blocks and pass pro and a nice little outlet valve catching underneath passes. He is complemented by second year receiving first tight ends, Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst. Andrews had a very strong rookie campaign with 550 plus yards and probably the Ravens offensive player of the year on that 68 yard catch and run touchdown versus the Chargers. Hurst lost most of his rookie year to a foot injury but has a first-round pedigree and some nice yards after the catch ability. Neither Boyle nor Andrews nor Hurst project as pro bowlers, but together they form a trio that stacks up well against any group in the NFL. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious. You know, they're three deep. Um, they're my number one team as well. Um, like I said, it's it's obvious because they're three deep. They have that high pedigree of the two high-round picks from last year. Uh, that both have good potential. I think Andrews really showed that potential last year. Well, Hurst has the promise, but he was shelved a little bit by that injury and is still recovering from it. Boyle, great in the run game. Like you said, uh, probably the best run-blocking tight end in the league was getting some serious free agency buzz. Um, you know, some teams were going to maybe overpay a little bit for him, but I think it was worth with Baltimore bringing him back on that cost-effective contract. And like you said, he's an underrated pass catcher, so, you know, three deep i think there's more talented tight ends than the guys that they have in this division but uh the the fact that they're so stacked um top to bottom is what has me putting them at number one here and my number two team is the cleveland browns for the second week in a row as well uh entering his third season former first round pick david Njoku is poised for a breakout year the athletic specimen posted 56 catches for 600 39 yards last season and he does have clearly the most raw talent of any tight end in this division demetrius harris another athletic pass catcher with upside was signed away from the chiefs this offseason and then in seth DeValve and orson charles the browns have a pair of willing blockers cleveland's depth chart has decent depth and a starter that creates mismatches in the passing game yeah, I had them number two as well. Uh, Nick Joku, a Pro Bowl caliber guy, he uh, looked pretty awesome last season, and I think he's going to continue to do so moving forward. I really liked Harris, too, uh, in Kansas City there. I think he got in the end zone a couple of times for the Chiefs in 2018. So he's got some uh, good athleticism, some good uh, potential to fit into that offense there. And, uh, yeah, I think DeValve actually has shown a couple of flashes in his few years as a pro. I'm pretty sure he scored a few times against the Ravens. So, um yeah, it's a solid group. Definitely not uh, as top to bottom deep as Baltimore, but they, they definitely probably have the more of the star power there with Njoku. A lot of uh, backup tight ends scored against the Ravens recently. So yeah, actually, that's... The, uh, the upgraded inside linebacker and safety might help out with that. Yeah, thanks I for the I think we're mind. probably going to be in agreement here, Jake, because I have Pittsburgh number three. Hmm. No? We, okay. are, we are not, but continue. 
Interesting. Well, I have Pittsburgh number three, Vance McDonald. He is a quality dual-purpose veteran. He's probably going to have an expanded role next season. Still, though, he's never scored more than four touchdowns in any of his six seasons. I think his reputation was greatly exaggerated because of a single well-placed stiff arm last year. Uh, Their number two, Xavier Grimble, has some tools, but has not provided Pitt with much production over the last three seasons. They selected Zach Gentry out of Michigan in the fifth. He profiles as a seam stretcher who needs some development. Overall, an average group, nothing special. Yeah, um, I felt the same way about the Steelers. I had them at four. I had the Bengals at three. Um, I love Tyler Eifert when he's healthy. Unfortunately, that is never the case, um, unfortunately for him anyway. So uh, when he inevitably gets hurt, they're going to need to see a little bit more from C.J. Uzama. But uh, Uzama, I've kind of liked what I've seen from him when he's gotten sprinkled into the mix in that offense there. I mean, Eifert's been hurt a lot, like I said, so he's gotten a chance to get some catches. And he certainly flashed a little bit here and there. And they also got uh, Drew Sample in the second round there. I didn't love the value, but as as far as being a rookie that can come in and contribute, I think he can do that this season. So I think um, I don't love the quality of either the Bengals or the Steelers, but I think the Bengals were a little bit uh, deeper there. So I went with them. And yeah, like I said, I had the Steelers at four. Vance McDonald is fine. But, you know, after them, not a whole lot to get excited about. Yeah, as for Cincy, I just don't have any any confidence in Eifert. After that Pro Bowl year in 2015, he's been ruined by injuries, suited up for only six games combined over the last two seasons, and is currently recovering from a broken ankle. Uzama, as you said, he, he did step up last year. He's a decent player. He's an average player. Um, I thought Cincy reached big time for Sample in the second. As you said, he's a try-hard run blocker from Washington, but his ceiling's kind of limited. I think tight end's another below-average position group for Cincy. Yeah, it definitely uh, probably is, and I think um, it's probably not going to look a whole lot better even with Zach Taylor coming in there to run that offense. But, uh, yeah, as far as uh, the rankings went, I probably could have gone either way on the Steelers and the Bengals, but uh, I guess it's good we had a little organic disagreement there because we were agreeing a little bit too much uh, to start things off there with uh, one and two. (laughs) We were, we were. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I guess that wraps up our segments and our news. Anything else you want to shout before you get out of here? Yeah, I want to continue on the topic of Ring of Honor just for a moment. One former player stands out to me as a Raven who definitely deserves a spot, and that's Chris McAllister. I like that. C-Mac had some off-the-field issues for sure, but on the field, he was certainly the best corner in team history. Over 10 seasons, Chris collected 26 interceptions, 138 pass breakups, six total touchdowns, three Pro Bowls, and a spot on Pro Football References all-decade team of the 2000s behind only Hall of Fame talents Champ Bailey, Rondi Barber, and Charles Woodson. He is also the eighth most valuable player in Ravens history according to their analytics, Pro Football Reference Analytics considerably better than current Ring of Honor members people were Jamal Lewis, Mike McCrary, Todd Heap, Matt Stover, and others. And they were like Ernest Spiner. But McAllister was as well. And without McAllister's outstanding coverage on the outside for all those years, the defense would not have been nearly as imposing. I hope the Ravens brass eventually bestow 
McAllister with the honor his play merited. Yeah, the Ring of Honor is an interesting thing. It feels like it's just as much about personality and culture fit as it is about productivity as a player, which I don't hate. I mean, you know, it's a it's a team hall of fame, so you know you want to include the off field stuff as well. But uh, you know, like you said there, the the resume for C Mac speaks for itself there. So if he could have just kept his head on a little bit more straight, I'm sure he would have been there probably already by now. Yeah, I hope so. And and I was a big fan of Bullware. He's one of my favorites. Jamal McCurry, all those guys. But when you have an Ernest Biner on the uh, yeah, that's rough. On the bowl, you know, I think I think you need C Mac up there too. Yeah, no doubt. Out of out of fairness, at least. Yeah, true. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, just for my last thought, I just wanted to say, um, you know, I, I'm just impressed by the Ravens' sense of family culture this week. I don't like to, you know, fillet their egos too much, but I uh, I just really liked what I saw from the way they honored Haloti Nada. I love the way they kind of brought Billick back into the fold after a rocky stretch, and uh, it's good to see him get into that ring of honor. And uh, like we said at the top, Haloti's going to be following him there in 2020. So uh, it's a good culture that's. Uh, we have here uh, with the team that we root for. So uh, it's great to see. And uh, I, I'd love to be a fan of it and be a part of it. No doubt. And with that, we're out. Peace.